0: The Scary Mommy website gives a funny and very accurate list of you know you have a toddler when. You know you have a toddler when you no longer fantasize about being rich, famous, beautiful, talented, or any of the above. Your fantasies center around sleep You dream about being rested and floating away on a California king bed that you can lay on in a starfish formation. You know you have a toddler when you have become a shut-in. Hopefully you have a backyard because other than work, you're going to lose your will to leave the house. It just won't be worth it anymore. Why deal with getting a toddler dressed car seat drama, and a potential meltdown in public when you can just become a recluse. You know you have a toddler when you've ever had to drag a kid out of a store under your arm like a bundle of firewood in front of a crowd of gawking strangers. You know you have a toddler when you regularly open packages of food in stores to keep your baboon quiet while you shop Don't worry, it's not shoplifting until you forget to pay for it. You know you have a toddler when you have more gates up in your home than the local zoo. You know you have a toddler when bath time in your house looks like an episode of Wipeout. You know you have a toddler when all four food groups can be found between your couch cushions you know you have a toddler when you've had to say, stop eating out of the trash in the last 24 hours. That happened to me yesterday. Get out of the trash. Having a toddler is an adventure to say the least. Comedian Jerry Seinfeld said, having a two-year-old is like having a blender without a lid. (laughs) Jenna Fisher, who played Pam Beasley on The Office, one of the greatest shows ever, said this, I suspect that watching my two-year-old eat a meal is similar to watching Jackson Pollock paint. Tons of color going everywhere and lots of splats. Having a toddler means that at some point you walk into a room and there is an empty box of Kleenex and there are 1,000 tissues all over the floor. That has happened in our house several times over the last few weeks. There's just something about pulling one Kleenex out after another that toddlers just can't seem to resist. Well, guess what? Jesus did that too. In the days of his flesh, I'm sure toddler Jesus emptied a box of Kleenex just like that. I'm sure toddler Jesus did all the things that toddlers do. Pouring a cup of milk on the carpet eating a crayon, cramming Legos into your diapers. Of course, Jesus did all of the toddler things that toddlers do, but he never sinned when he did it. So there's a big difference between toddler Jesus and your toddler and my toddler. Big difference. And you'll go insane if you don't realize that making messes are what little kids do. So I'm positive that toddler Jesus emptied a box of Kleenex on the floor by pulling them out one after another. And I'm sure emptying a box of Kleenex that way was something that brought toddler Jesus much joy. And I am sure that Jesus did this throughout his entire life. I'm confident that Jesus went through whole boxes of Kleenex, but not in the toddler way. I'm not saying that when Jesus was an adult, he pulled Kleenex out and left them all over the floor like a toddler, but I am confident that throughout his life, Jesus went through whole boxes of Kleenex. I'm sure Jesus went through whole boxes of Kleenex because of the emotional turmoil that he faced I'm sure he blew his nose and blew his way through whole boxes of Kleenex because that's exactly what the preacher of Hebrews says in our passage today. Hebrews chapter 5. We'll only look at one verse today, verse 7. Direct your attention there to God's word and hear the word of the Lord. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications With loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. In the days of his flesh, meaning his incarnation, Jesus poured his heart out to his heavenly father. Now, why did he do that? The answer to that question is our big idea today. Jesus poured his heart out to God so that he could pour his blood out for you. Jesus poured his heart out to God during his incarnation so that he could pour his life, so that he could pour his blood out for us on the cross. So there's a connection here between how Jesus prayed during his life and what actually happened at his death. There's a connection between how Jesus prayed throughout his life and what happened on the cross at his death. There's a connection between what Jesus prayed about during his life and a connection with how Jesus prayed during his life that corresponds directly with his death on the cross. In other words, his quiet times were not insignificant. His prayers to God were not taken lightly. His devotional time was necessary. His times alone with his Father were intricately related to his death on the cross. His times alone spent with his Father in prayer were intricately related to his death on the cross. So Jesus poured his heart out to God so that he would be able to pour out his life, pour out his blood for us on the cross. That means, then, that when you picture Jesus praying to God the Father during his incarnation, please don't picture him having a quiet, quiet time. Please don't picture Jesus sitting in his favorite chair, perhaps a blanket dangled across his cold legs, Sitting in his favorite chair, Bible in his lap, coffee in his hand, and having a nice Western evangelical quiet time. Jesus did not have quiet, quiet times. Don't picture Jesus that way. Instead, picture him crying out with loud cries and tears. Picture him resisting temptation throughout his life by the power of the Spirit and with the Word of God. Picture him fighting the good fight of faith. Picture him earnestly seeking God. Picture him suffering and crying out to God with tears and screaming out to his Father in heaven. That's what Hebrews 5-7 is all about. The preacher of Hebrews wants his audience to understand that Jesus' prayer life was not static. It was intensely passionate. His prayers were not simply hushed words like, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. His prayers were not, Lord, give me traveling mercies. Whatever those are, does anybody know? It's not in the Bible. Or his prayers were not blessed, so and so. Now, Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears. And so, the preacher of Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus is better because he resisted temptation his entire life, he fought the good fight of faith. Jesus is better because he was not like a passive lamb that was led to the slaughter under the old covenant. Jesus is the God-man who fought temptation his whole life by crying out to God so that he could be the second Adam and come and obey God's law for us and on our behalf. No lamb under the Old Covenant could do that or did do that. No lamb under the Old Covenant spent its entire life crying out that they would be obedient and not give in to temptation, but Jesus did. And that's why Jesus is better. And that's why the preacher of Hebrews brings this up. Because Jesus' prayer life was dri- directly related to his propitiatory death, propitiation, turning aside God's wrath. Jesus' prayer life was directly related to his propitiatory death, where he died in our place and turned aside God's wrath at our sin. How and what Jesus prayed during his life is directly related to his death. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, but they weren't just normal prayers. His prayers were loud. They consisted of strong cries, powerful cries. And the Greek word that the preacher of Hebrews uses here for cries, it even sounds like it should be the Greek word for cries. The Greek word here is krauge. And it denotes this loud noise, not necessarily articulate or even human. Crowgay" is a word like our English word croak because it uses the kr sound with, with a vowel and a, and a guttural to suggest this rough or raucous sound. And, and crowge, the, the Greek word is based on the croaking of, of ravens and it means to croak or to cry with a loud and raucous voice. In fact, crowge. Is used in the Septuagint, the the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's used in a variety of ways there. It's used in Job 5 of a donkey. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass? It's also used of childbirth in Isaiah 26, verse 17, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth. And it's used of the war cry. In Joshua 6.16, after the army had marched seven times around Jericho, and at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And so the preacher of Hebrews wants his audience, which includes us now, to understand that the way Jesus prayed often was in a way that would not be welcome in most public places. His prayers would not be welcome at any of our Sunday evening prayer services, or we just would be very uncomfortable with the way he prayed. The word that the preacher uses here is used in the Greek Old Testament of a donkey braying loudly. It's used of a pregnant woman who is in labor. It's used of the shout that the nation of Israel let out right before the walls of Jericho fell. So you could word Hebrews 5, 7 this way. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries like a donkey. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries like a pregnant woman who is in the throes of labor and is about to push a baby out. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries like an army shouting a war cry of victory. I don't know how you picture Jesus praying. It's probably not like that one famous painting. You know the one famous painting where he's sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane kind of like this with his hands folded. And there's like light coming down and he's just got this very peaceful look on his face. It's not the biblical account when you read Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, by the way. But it tells you how we typically have pictured him. A very static, easygoing life. I don't know how you picture Jesus praying, but the preacher of Hebrews wants you to picture Jesus praying the way I just described. How do you picture Jesus praying as he's described in Mark chapter 1? Listen to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 37. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Now, I don't know how you picture Jesus here in Mark chapter 1, praying all by himself in the dark, but the preacher of Hebrews is telling you that in that setting, Jesus prayed like a donkey. He's telling you that Jesus prayed like a pregnant woman pushing a baby out. He's telling you that Jesus prayed like a victorious army shouting because they won the battle. I mean, after all, how do you think the disciples found Jesus in the dark when he was praying all by himself in the early hours of the morning? They listened for Jesus' donkey prayers. They were listening for their rabbi who prayed like a woman giving birth. And the pain of giving birth makes you scream. Amen, ladies? I know because we have six kids and my wife, Heather, screamed while giving birth to each one. But as a man, I don't really know what that pain is like. Men, we think we know what that pain is, but we don't. We have no idea. Here's a funny internet meme that I saw this week that proves just how tough women are. During labor, the pain is so great that a woman can almost imagine what a man feels when he has a fever. That's true, men, but let me ask the ladies, isn't that true? (laughs) Men are wimps when we get sick. We have no idea what it is like to give birth. But when you picture Jesus praying, whether you are a man or a woman, picture him screaming the way a woman screams during the delivery of a baby. Or here's another example. The way I picture Jesus praying at times is like how Democrat Howard Dean screamed that one time. You remember that? Back during the early days of the presidential election process in January of 2004, Howard Dean was at the top of the list of Democratic nominees. But he finished third in the Iowa caucus. And during his concession speech to his supporters, he said he was going to go around and visit a handful of states. And then he said he was going all the way to the White House. But he didn't say it like that. He actually said, and then we're going to Washington D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! We will not give up. We will not give up in New Hampshire. We will not give up in South Carolina. We will not quit now or ever. That scream killed Howard Dean's chances of becoming the Democrat nominee in 2004. That's how fickle we are as a people. He showed some passion. And we're like, can't be president. And has since come to be known as the Dean Scream, and I honestly appreciated it. He showed some passion, which was sorely missing from both the Democrat and Republican nominees that year. He was not who I would have voted for, but I appreciated his passion, because passion goes a long way with me. I appreciated Howard Dean's Passionate, and then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! We will not give up. And that's how I picture Jesus praying sometimes. Not every time. But sometimes I believe he prayed like that. That's how we should picture Jesus praying. We should picture Jesus saying, Father, I'm going all the way to the cross to take back what the devil stole and to fix what Adam broke. Yeah, I will not give up. I will not quit now or ever. Please understand, there's a connection between how and what Jesus prayed about during his life and what happened with his death on the cross. Jesus poured his heart out to God so he could pour his blood out for you. In the days of his flesh, Jesus poured his heart out to his heavenly Father so that he could pour his life, so that he could pour his blood out for us on the cross. So there's a connection between how Jesus prayed during his life and what actually happened at his death. There's a connection between what Jesus prayed about and how Jesus prayed during his life that corresponds directly and has bearing upon his death on the cross. But not only did Jesus offer up prayers with loud cries, they were accompanied by tears too. Look again at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So when you picture Jesus praying, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. The phrase, cry me a river, is very appropriate to Jesus' quiet times. There were deep emotions involved that produced many tears. And if internet memes were popular in Jesus' day, I bet there would have been a crying Jesus meme. If you've been on the internet recently, or maybe I should say if you're just a human being... The crying Michael Jordan meme has taken off and has been used for all kinds of situations and scenarios. What is the Michael Jordan crying meme? It's a picture of the famous basketball player crying his eyes out as he gave a speech at his Basketball Hall of Fame induction. Maybe you've seen this picture. This meme, this picture of Michael Jordan crying is now used for anyone that fails at something or loses a game. They just superimpose his face on whoever the loser is. And as soon as the basketball game was over last night, all over Twitter, you had the Oklahoma City Thunder, like whole teams and whole sections of fans all with Michael Jordan's face plastered on them. If memes were popular in Jesus' day, and you happened to take a picture of him as he was praying, he would have looked a lot like crying Michael Jordan in this meme. So please understand that Jesus cried a river when he prayed. And Jesus got ugly cry face too. You know what ugly cry face is? It's when you're bawling your eyes out and you don't look so hot. It's when you cry so much that you look ugly. Well, Hebrews 5.7 is telling you that when Jesus had his devotional times, he got ugly cry face. And he made sure to have a box of Kleenex handy too. That's what the devotional times of Jesus were like many days. So picture Jesus praying as the preacher of Hebrews describes him with loud cries and tears. And what did he scream in his quiet times? What did he say loudly to his father? Probably, my guess, is something along these lines. Oh, Father, help me. Empower me by the Spirit. Bring scripture back into my mind. I need you. My body is weak. I'm tired. Ministry is draining me, and my sufferings are great. The temptations are real. Satan is real. He won't give me any rest. He's always there trying to get me to disobey. Oh, my father, help, help, help me not to quit. I cannot do this without you. I want to honor you and accomplish the mission that you gave me to do, and I can't do it without you. Let this suffering prepare me. Let this great suffering ready me so that I will be ready to go to the cross one day. So Jesus did not have quiet, quiet times He cried out to his Father. He cried out with loud cries and tears, as verse 7 says, to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Only one person could save Jesus from death, God the Father. And that's why Jesus cried out to his Father. That's why Jesus cried out with loud cries and with tears, because he wanted to be saved from death what does that mean what does it mean that jesus wanted to and needed to be saved from death what does that even mean i mean i thought jesus came to die for sinners so why would he want to be saved from death well it's true the text does say that jesus wanted to be saved from death and it says that god the father did save him from death but what does that mean because he died and yet it says that god the father saved him from death Well, to answer that, we must understand this, that Jesus did not fear death. When the preacher says that Jesus cried out to God so that he would be saved from death, he's not saying that Jesus was afraid of dying. Jesus was not afraid of dying. Jesus didn't cry out to his Father to save him from death because he was afraid of death. Jesus wasn't afraid of death. He knew that's why he left heaven. He knew that's why he came to the earth in the incarnation. His death was the eternal plan of God. So, Jesus wasn't afraid of death. What Jesus feared more than anything in the world, what Jesus feared more than even a brutal Roman crucifixion, what he feared most was disobeying his father. That's what Jesus feared more than anything not accomplishing the mission that God had sent him to do, disobeying his father not being the second Adam, not obeying the law on our behalf so that we could get his foreign alien righteousness credited to us so that we could stand in God's presence. That's the death that Jesus wanted to be saved from. To disobey God the Father would be death, according to Jesus. To disobey his Father would be death. And so Jesus wanted to be saved from that death, the death of not accomplishing his mission as the second Adam. John Piper explains it better than I can. He says this about Hebrews 5, 7. And when verse 7b says that he was praying and crying to the one able to save him from death, does that mean that he was mainly praying for deliverance from physical death? Was that the main aim of his praying in the days of his flesh? I don't think so because verse 7 says he was heard. I think that means God gave him what he asked for. And verse 8 describes the effect of that answered prayer. He learned obedience. Jesus was praying for obedience, for persevering purity. In other words, Jesus knew that there was a death worse than death, much worse. Physical death is bad enough, and he desired that there be another way to do the Father's will than to die on the cross. But far more horrible than dying on the cross was the impurity of unbelief and disobedience. That was the great and horrible threat. And so he prayed all of his life against that, And he was heard by his father, and instead of caving into sin, he learned obedience from what he suffered. The reverence that Jesus had, that the preacher of Hebrews is talking about here, he was heard because of his reverence. The reverence that Jesus had was that he did not want to disobey his father. He did not want to give in to the very real temptations that he was facing 24-7. The most horrible thing that Jesus could imagine. And the very thing that he wanted to be saved from was the impurity of unbelief and disobedience. He feared not obeying the law for us. He feared not being the second Adam. That would be death for Jesus. And so God answered his tear-soaked prayers. The Spirit of God strengthened Jesus so that he would not cave in to the impurity of unbelief and disobedience. And that's exactly what the Hebrews were facing. Keep the context in mind here. The Hebrews have been warned already by the preacher of Hebrews to not disobey like the first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. They have already been warned in this letter several times about unbelief about disobedience. And so this picture of Jesus crying out with loud cries and tears is given to them so that they, too, would cry out that way. This is exactly the picture of Jesus that they need to see, that he would cry with loud cries and tears and not give in to unbelief. They need to see Jesus praying this way and then they need to pray this way, too, They need to see the Jesus crying meme and be encouraged to hold fast to Christ. They need to see the Jesus crying meme and be encouraged to keep on praying. And isn't this picture of Jesus praying like this encouraging? It is, or it is to me anyway, because it makes him a sympathetic high priest. This is why he is a merciful high priest. This is why he is a faithful high priest. This is why he is a great high priest, because he has endured suffering just like us, but on a much greater scale, a much greater scale. So when we go to God in prayer, and we pray with loud cries and tears, and when we get ugly cry face as we're praying, and when we go through whole boxes of Kleenex when we pray, guess what? Jesus understands He understands our pain. He understands our suffering. He's not distanced from us. He was not granted immunity to suffering. He was not granted immunity to pain. He understands exactly what we are going through, whatever it is. And there are a variety of people here today, and that means that there are a variety of sufferings, a variety of pain, a variety of heartache, and Jesus understands every single one. None of us could walk in here and have people lined up and go down the line and hear where their' pain, hear their heartache, hear their suffering and say, "I know exactly what you're going through." None of us could do that. We, we might with a couple of people, we might land on that. Jesus could come in here today and look you in the eyes and say, "I understand exactly what you are going through. Hold my hand." And that's why he's better. Jesus is better because he's cried a river before too. And you can pour your heart out to him. Listen to these promises from God for you, Christian. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you, Christian. And what you're going through right now. Suffering does not mean that he doesn't care. Don't believe that lie. His own son Jesus did not get a pass on suffering. Suffering does not mean that God does not care about you. It's right there in his word. It says he cares for you. And so you can go to him and just unload just let it all out. You know, like when someone cries on your shoulder, he's you like, just let it on out. Just let it out. And they're just soft. Go to him. Lean on his shoulders and just let him. He doesn't care if you get snot on his shoulder. He doesn't care if you get up and there's, it's wet from your tears. He says, come and cast all your anxieties on me. And if that means you have to have your nose run on my shoulder, I'm okay with that. Or Psalm 56 8, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He notices. He knows what you're going through right now. They mean so much to him, and you mean so much to him that he's keeping a journal of all your suffering, all of your pain, all of your heartache, all of your tears he's keeping in a bottle because they are precious to him. Or Psalm 34, verses 17 through 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. He's near you right now, Christian. Some of you are so overwhelmed. You're like, I don't even know what to do in this situation. I just want life to end. I want Jesus to come back right now. I don't even know what to do. My heart is so overwhelmed. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't do anything. He's near. He's near. You can pray just like Jesus. And when you picture Jesus praying, picture him crying out to God with loud cries and tears. Picture the Jesus crying meme when you picture Jesus having his devotional times. Picture him having very loud quiet times. Picture him crying, snot running out of his nose. Picture him going through a whole box of Kleenex, and when he has no more, he has to use his sleeve. Picture him with bloodshot eyes, and remember that Jesus poured his heart out to God so he could pour his blood out for you, and he poured his life, and he poured his blood out for us on the cross because of the way he prayed during his life and because of what he prayed about during his life. And he cried out with loud cries and tears, even on the cross. He spent his whole life crying out to God. And in his final moments, alive on the cross, what's he doing? He's still doing the same thing that he's been doing his whole life, still crying out to God. Matthew 27, 46 says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? R.C. Sproul describes the cross and Jesus' cry of abandonment this way. He says it was the most grotesque display of ugliness imaginable. This cry represents the most agonizing protest ever uttered on this planet. It bursts forth in a moment of unparalleled pain. It is the scream of the damned for us. Jesus bore the curse and the weight of the law for us, for our sins, for all the stuff that we do that we're ashamed of, that we hate, for us, for our sins. He was damned in our place. He was condemned in our place. He poured out His blood for our sin. Don't ever let that become old hat to you. He poured out His blood for our sin. And He screamed the scream of the damned for us. What a Savior. What a Savior. Heavenly Father, what a Savior your Son is. It's enough to be blamed for something that's not true in our lives. But to bear the weight and the curse of the law for our sin, God, is, it's unimaginable. And yet your Son did that for us. You're so merciful and so gracious to sinners like us. May we look to your Son now and find joy and find life and find peace. And may we run in, unto your throne of grace and just pour our heart out to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.